Adult content intended for an adult audience only. All characters engaging in sexual relationships or activities are 18 years old or older. Contains explicit words, thoughts, and ideas. This story was found on a free website and brought to audio form here. I did not write and take no credit for this story. Please visit the link above to further support this writer. Performance Enhancer by Dajigi 2006 Like any great escape, it started with a series of tests. Checking boundaries, seeing how lax his watchers had become. Simple things that, put together, made freedom more than just an empty promise his captors held out in return for cooperation. I in fairness to those jailers, they were overwhelmed. The sheer numbers of dangerous mutants found each day taxed their resources to the limit, even with government backing. Also, this captive was cooperative, and had been for long enough that he was almost forgotten. What tipped the scales was no one realized his powers were growing. So the tests went unnoticed. A nurse left one day with a few gray hairs. One guard whose fingernails grew longer than possible in eight hours. Little things that people might see, but that they didn't really notice. Like a rusty spot on the door hinge in his cell. I in his thirteenth month of captivity, Subject 375 got his chance. They once again required him to boost the side powers of their hunter team. He asked for a water bottle in return and actually got it. The Nalgene type with a sports tip, perfect for squirting water, Subject 375, a.k.a. John Waverly, wakes with a nervous start. Stepping to the sink, he fills his water bottle and takes a few swigs before refilling it carefully to the top. Closing his eyes, he takes a few deep breaths and walks towards the cell door point too quick. Measured squirts hit the hinges and coat them in water. A few seconds of concentration and rust starts appearing. The hinges are rapidly converted from solid steel to rusted-out remnants that can't hold the weight of the door. It begins to sag inward. A quick grab and strong pull bring the door scraping across the floor, opening it wide enough to step into the hall. Swift steps take him to the nearest door, and he repeats his process, this time on the padlock on the outside. Pulling hard on it shatters the rusted inner mechanism and allows him to open the door. John crosses the floor and grabs the inmate by her face, his hands tangling in her dirty blonde hair as they frame her face. Again he focuses. It takes only seconds, but the alarms are beginning to sound now and it seems like forever as he stares into the woman's dark brown eyes, watching the drugged look fade from them. He hopes that her drugged state really does indicate that she's a powerful mutant someone who can help him break out, not one to put all his eggs in one basket. John steps away as the woman continues to regain her senses. Carrying the water bottle like a weapon, he runs into the hall and on to another door. Seconds pass as he breaks its lock and the sound of boots drumming against the concrete can be heard. A bullet ricochets off the wall near him as John ducks into the room he's just opened. The man within is physically impressive. His bulk fills the small bed as John approaches and lays hands on his face. Looking into his eyes, John concentrates and forces the drugs out of the man's system, helping his body filter his blood and neutralize the tranquilizer. John steps back and helps his fellow inmate to stand as screams start coming from the corridor. Gunfire rattles and the screams grow louder, all of them male. The big man shakes his head a few times to finish clearing it and looks at John. Thanks. Sounds like it's time to leave. John nods and darts to the door, 
poking his head around the doorjamb to see the woman standing in the hall facing a group of soldiers. Her hands are raised and a shimmering field is blocking bullets from their rifles. The shield is moving down the hall towards the soldiers like a floating wall. Some of them are down, bleeding from ricochets. Crunching noises from inside the cell draw John's attention. The big man is literally punching the wall, powdering it with the strength of his blows. He is too strong, though, and his arms are leaving holes instead of collapsing larger sections of the wall. Realizing this, the brute grabs the wall through two of the holes and pulls into the cell. John dives into the hall, slamming hard into the bare concrete floor as cinder blocks and concrete fly through the doorway next to him. Sorry comes a deep voice from inside the room. More concrete flies as John picks himself up. Looking at the woman, he sees her looking back, desperate. I can't hold this much longer. Her voice rings in his ears, low and sweet but with an edge on it. What do we do? We're following him out this way, John says, pointing at the cell door obscured in a cloud of dust and debris. Come on. Once outside the holding area, John and the others have few choices. The big man goes through wall after wall, doing an end runaround attempts to seal the facility. When the woman's strength starts to flag, the big man sends them ahead and collapses a ceiling behind them, digging himself out of the rubble and following after. Within ten minutes they exit the building, coming out onto a city street in downtown. John takes over and directs them into the utility tunnels. The cone logo on a sewer cover tips John to the fact they're in New York. Cone proves to be their best friend and they are quickly lost in the mazes under the streets. After an hour of wading through sewage that makes them all nauseous, they are certain their pursuers are lost behind them in the tunnels and stop to catch their breath. After minutes of no sound but their own breath, John finally relaxes. Thanks. I wouldn't have made it out without your help. The woman's eyes fix on John. Whatever you did to me made it work. What's your name? I'm John. Dawn. Call me Nicholas. The big man's voice boomed loud in the narrow tunnel. The woman winces at the sound and focuses on the giant. So, John, what did you do to us back there? I'm a performance enhancer. I can boost things, like accelerating your body's ability to deal with the drugs. I can do the same for people's powers. That's incredible. The blonde's eyes are on John, measuring him as he pretends not to notice. He shrugs and looks at them both. I think we need to get out of these sewers and off the streets. Do either of you have any ideas? Both shake their heads. I've got a few things in mind. I'd like to know what you think. They listen to John and as he talks their eyes grow more confident. Captain John Marshall steps into the briefing room, closely followed by the other two members of his team, Lieutenant Melissa Rice and Sergeant Mike Epps. Their black boots hit the floor in synchronous rhythm as they walk across the tile to stop in front of the table. The team salutes the general and seat themselves at his nod. The general hands out briefing folders and quickly outlines the mission to recapture subjects 375, 417, and especially 131. He then turns to a blonde man in a suit in a chair to one side of the room. This is Matthew A. Bear a scientist from D.C. who will brief you on a few extra details they've discovered. Hello, everyone. What you need to know first is that Subject 375's powers of enhancement appear to have expanded greatly. Originally it was believed that he was only able to enhance the powers of others, 
up to nine hours if it was a single person. Now we believe that not only has he got the ability to enhance the abilities of others, but in doing so he's gaining access to their abilities for his own use, at least in a limited fashion. We're not sure of the full scope of his powers since this was only learned during his escape. John eyes his team briefly before asking, Can you give us more detail, Mr. Bear?" Certainly. Before his escape, the last team Subject 375 Enhanced had a mutant with abilities that included rusting metal the same way that 375 did during his escape. However, that team had other abilities that would have been more useful to Subject 375 during an escape, such as the ability to walk through walls. This leads us to believe he isn't consciously absorbing powers, at least not yet. The fact that his powers have grown in this unexpected direction means we shouldn't put limits on him too quickly, though. John nods. So 375 will be our primary target. The scientist shook his head. No, Subject 131 should remain your top priority. He's a berserker in combat and should be neutralized first, especially before 375 can enhance his strength. As John looks thoughtfully at the dossier in front of him, the general thanks the scientist for his input and asks him to leave. As John and the team look at the general, his face takes on a serious look. To assist your team in finding and recapturing these three, I am temporarily assigning a specialist with mental abilities to join you. John could almost feel the temperature in the room drop as he and his team took in the general's words. Sir, I think my team. The general waved a hand for silence as he talked over John. The decision has been made, Captain. Your new teammate will meet you in an hour. His file will be on your desk. John salutes, followed by his team, and they leave the meeting room. As Hunter Team 2 heads back to their quarters, John's face reflects his mindset. Fuck me. It's not enough that I get scanned by mind benders after I hunt down rogue ones, now I have one on my team. I'm still not convinced that the ones working for us are good guys. Those Mentats, who attacked DC last year are still on the loose and Hunter Team 1 is still looking for replacements. I feel sorry for Frank no one should have to see his people turned into drooling idiots. John waves goodbye to the others and heads to their small office, a place they barely use but which at least has some privacy. Meeting the new team member might just be easier with some info about his abilities. John sighs as he walks the short distance to the office, settling into his chair with the file on Lieutenant Elian Gomez some forty minutes pass before he looks up from it. So, an empath at a distance, but a telepath via touch. Guess I don't have to worry about him dancing through my head after all. A knock sounds at the door and John calls out to enter. A slim, dark-haired man in a hunter team jumpsuit walks in. Standing before John, he salutes and stares at the wall over John's head. Lieutenant Elian Gomez reports as ordered, sir. His voice is steady and calm as Gomez speaks. At ease, Gomez. Welcome to Hunter Team 2. I'm your new CO, John Marshall. You'll meet your teammates later, Lieutenant Melissa Rice and Sergeant Mike Epps. Gomez meets John's eyes as he relaxes his stance and nods, but his face remains stiff. The silence stretches for a few moments before John speaks. Do you have any questions, Gomez? No, sir, I don't. Have you already been briefed on the mission then? No, sir. I'm sure you'll tell me what you want me to know, Captain. The irony in Gomez's tone is cutting. 
Lieutenant, I'm not sure what your past experiences have been, but in the field I need to believe I can rely on you as a teammate. Being a jackass isn't the best way to start off. John's face matches his steely tone. Great, I wish I'd said that better. Still, that was a dickhead thing he said. Understood, Captain. Do you wish to brief me now about the mission? Gomez's eyes are back on some faraway spot on the wall above John. His voice is neutral. John sighs to himself as he starts telling Gomez about the mission. Melissa barely was in the door of her room before Mike has her pinned against the wall. With one arm holding her arms above her head, his other roams her body, caressing and squeezing her through the jumpsuit. She moans into his mouth as he kisses her, but she manages to break from the kiss before she loses all focus. Mike! We're going to be meeting someone in an hour, and I do not want to smell like sex. The teasing smile on her face showed she was only half serious. I know. That's thirty minutes of sex, ten minutes to shower, and twenty to get to the meeting room. Mike Epps' lips curved as he stared at the light-skinned blonde. Melissa intentionally presses more of her body against him, a not-so-subtle encouragement. She gasps as Mike uses his telekinesis to roughly push her against the wall freeing his hands as she eyes him helplessly. Her pussy moistens as Mike steps back and invisible hands run over her body. She closes her eyes and relishes the feelings that a sharp pinch to one nipple brings a gasp. The sound of her zipper lowering echoes in the room. As Melissa's hips bounce futilely against the wall, she feels the jumpsuit being tugged down over her body. A minute later, her clothes are gone entirely and Mike steps up to her as she lays spread eagle against the wall. Kneeling, he puts his head between her thighs. His tongue starts low, circling slowly up and around and back down again. As Melissa moans, Mike pays careful, loving attention to every nerve ending and gives each one its due. The next thirty minutes pass quickly in a haze of lust. Freshly showered, Mike and Melissa meet their new teammate briefly before liftoff at the helipad. The noise of the chopper prohibits casual conversation, which suits everyone. The helicopter lifts off the pad and heads out into the darkness towards the city carrying the team towards their prey. In upstate New York, John walks into the kitchen of their rented log cabin and puts on some water for tea. As it boils, he thinks about how flawlessly the past six days have gone for the trio. One quick armored car heist, in which no one was seriously hurt, thankfully, netted enough cash for a series of rented cheap hotel rooms and some real clothing as well as the used Dodge minivan parked alongside the cabin. As he looks out at the trees and sips his tea, John closes his eyes and truly relaxes for the first time since the escape. The warm smell of chai wafts up around him and the birdsong outside is the only sound besides his breathing. The sound of a footfall brings John's eyelids open. He sees Dawn entering the kitchen, toweling her hair. Her body is lean and taut under the long shirt she wears. The sight of it makes him hard instantly. Morning, Don. Hey. Any more tea? Sure. John replies as he stands and moves to the stove. Here. He hands her the cup and watches as she searches for a spoon and sugar. As she bends over, her white lace panties are visible briefly under the shirt. John reaches a decision and closes his eyes briefly to focus. A as she begins spooning sugar into her cup. John notices her nipples becoming hard under the shirt. Casually, Dawn unwinds the towel from her hair. It drapes down and covers them. 
John fights to keep the grin from his face as he concentrates some more. Dawn looks up from her tea. So, we're safely out of the city, what now? I don't know. We should wait and talk with Nicholas. Maybe we should split up? Dawn winds some hair around her finger as she sips more tea. I dunno. We all got caught before. I think we should stay together. After seeing how smart you are, I'd like to stay with you even if Nicholas leaves. She smiles warmly and catches his as he smiles back. John ups the flow of energy. You're someone I can get along with, I suppose. Coily, Dawn looks up from drinking her tea, through her bangs at him. You suppose, huh? Need me to show you again what I'm good for? Her smile is a grin, now and the towel slides away to reveal her nipples are rock hard against the shirt. As she straightens in her chair, Dawn's shoulders go back and she looks at John like a wolf might look at a steak. John reaches out with a hand and covers Dawn's as it sits on the table. I'm up for learning more about you, Dawn. He leans forward as he talks, looking her in the eyes. Let me show you something I'm really good at. Dawn slips to her knees on the linoleum floor in front of John. As her cute but leaves the chair, John can see a slight trail of wetness left behind and smells her arousal. He grins openly now and runs his hands through her hair as Dawn opens his jeans and her head begins to bob on his cock. That's amazing, Dawn. We're going to be a great team. After just a few minutes of attention, John unleashes a load of sperm down her eager throat. Quickly, while he still has a heart on, John pulls her up and bends Dawn over the kitchen table. Yanking her panties to the side, he pushes into her slickness and takes her. Dawn comes almost immediately, and several more orgasms follow as John rides her, using short strokes that keep him deep inside her pussy. The pressure of her clit on the table's edge drives her wild, bringing guttural noises from her. John continues to increase her libido throughout the sex session. When he finally finishes a second time John leaves Dawn on the table, a limp and thoroughly used experiment of his abilities, as he heads up to take his own shower. The blue paint job of the rental catches the evening light as John pulls off the freeway and onto the road to the log cabin, a load of groceries in the back seat. Dawn's head is bobbing in his lap as they drive. Ever since yesterday morning, John has been keeping her libido in high gear and trying other things as well. Pulling into the driveway, John looks down at her blonde hair. We're back. With a soft, sucking noise Dawn releases his cock, gently tucking him away. I think I'm addicted to this, she says as she finishes zipping him up and the car stops. You're not the only one, John laughs. No, really. Her expression starts to darken as Dawn thinks. Have you? Her question is interrupted by shattering glass and a shot from the cabin. Looking up, they both see Nicholas kneeling and aiming a rifle through the window at the tree line. Shield us, John shouts out as he pushes at dawn again with his power. She complies, throwing up a dome around the car just in time to stop a hail of bullets that come from the tree line. Not all the bullets are aimed at the car. John sees Nicholas' head erupt with a spray of blood and he goes down in the cabin. Starting the car, John tears out of the drive. Bullets continue to ring off the shield dawn has up, joined for a moment by what looks like a spray from a flamethrower. A small tree is ripped from the ground and thrown at the car but again Dawn's shield blocks it, although she visibly strains with the effort. John pulses her again with his powers, boosting her ability, 
as he gets onto the main road and accelerates away from the cabin. Behind them, Hunter Team 2 emerges from the trees and begins to converge on the house. Goma's voice comes over their headsets as they move in. Subject 131 is dead. I felt him go. No one else is in the house. The team quickly confirms the kill and assembles out front again. Captain Marshall looks over his team as they wait for the chopper to arrive. Good work, people. One down, two to go, and they're on the run. We might even be able to track them from the air. Quick and dirty debrief anyone. Mike speaks up. Tried getting a tree in front of the car to block the road. Next time we should be better prepped to block exits. John nods at the sergeant and looks around. Gomez opens his mouth once, then closes it, and finally relents under John's questioning gaze. Sir, Subject 417 should not have been able to keep her shield up against the pyrokinetic attack, based on what we know of her. I think we should assume Subject 375 is boosting her ability to unexpected levels. Agreed, John says, but she's a one-trick pony. I'm more worried about 375 and what the escape showed about his powers changing. Gomez nods and looks up at the chopper as it comes into sight. Although the team quickly piles in and tries to catch up, the five minutes it took for the helicopter to show up and the oncoming nightfall provide just the edge the escapees need to disappear again. Pulling off the highway at the first exit, John drives the rental car onto a back road dot he's already made this trip once familiarizing himself with the general area and this planned escape route. Dawn sits quiet in the car next to him, slumped with exhaustion from using her shielding. Minutes turn into an hour, and John starts to relax. Right before they found us, I was going to ask you what you've been doing to me. Dawn's voice is soft in the darkness of the car. John reaches out with his power before he answers. Dawn, I am attracted to you but my power doesn't work with something that's not there already. I amped up your horniness for me, but that's all. I'm sorry. He turns his head to look at her in the darkness of the car. Don't be, John. I think I like it. Are you using your powers on me now? No. John lies as he continues the feed of power, feeding the submissive tendencies in her he's been building up the past twenty-four hours. He can tell that her arousal is going up on its own and her hands are unconsciously stroking herself. Good. Dawn says before she reaches over to his lap and starts working on his zipper. Shortly, the sounds of her cocksucking fill the car as they wind through the back roads. As he enjoys the attention, John briefly wonders how they were found by the hunter team. Elian sat patiently, waiting for the telepath to finish the loyalty probe. Being mentally gifted, at least the process doesn't cause him pain. Something about being gifted makes probes only feel slightly uncomfortable. Most people compared a probe to being hit with a light electric shock, only continuously for the length of the probe. An unlucky few even passed out screaming, the poor bastards.as the brunette finishes her probe Elian can feel her attraction for him, and knows she isn't hiding it, mentally at least. He smiles politely, and shakes his head at the unspoken invitation. She shrugs and clears him out of debriefing.as he joins the team in the hall. Elian can feel the heat between Mike and Melissa even though they show nothing publicly. The captain dismisses them and everyone begins walking back to quarters. As he locates his room, Elian realizes he's next door to Mike and sighs. Bad enough Melissa is a hot little chica, he thinks, 
without having to hear them getting it on right next to me. As if summoned by the thought, a spike of lust comes through the wall at him. Undressing, Elian lies on his bunk and begins jacking off as the sex continues. Deciding to have some fun, Elian spends time playing with the couple next door emotionally. Their lust simmers for a while as he manipulates their emotions, and he can feel them responding with slow, gentle sex. After Elian decides he's ready to come he quickly brings them to a peak of lust, almost dizzying them with the speed and intensity of their emotions. Melissa's voice is faintly audible though the thick concrete walls now, loud and demanding more of what she's getting. Elian closes his eyes and concentrates, until finally all three teammates come at the same time. Mike and Melissa collapse into a sweaty embrace as Elian looks at his spent cock and wishes he'd taken the brunette up on her offer. Elian gets up from his couch to answer the knocking. He can already tell his teammates are on the other side, but he acts surprised and invites Mike and Melissa in. They look nervous for a few moments and Mike speaks. Elian, we have a question for you. It's kind of personal, but we have to ask if you... Mike pauses, at a loss for words. Yes, Mike, I felt you both next door earlier. I'm not able to block it out either. Elian keeps his tone calm and his face straight although he's surprised by what he feels from the pair. Melissa nods and says, I thought so. That wasn't normal for us earlier, so I bet you did it, didn't you? Despite the wording, her voice is eager, not upset. Mike's feelings are a bit more mixed, but he also is emoting strongly of excitement. Yes, I did. I'm glad you both liked it. I didn't mean to interfere, but I got caught up in the feelings myself and when that happens... Well... Elian looks at the table, trying not to smirk. They're quite the horn dogs, he thinks. Elian, Mike says, can I ask you something very personal? Elian nods but the words that follow are like a sledgehammer between his eyes. Would you be open to a threesome with us sometime? As Elian sits, mouth dropped open, Melissa stands up. Maybe you need some convincing? She looks at Mike, who smiles, before she unzips her jumpsuit and it drops to the floor. Her nude body is beautiful and both men stare openly at her slim athletic form. Even as he admires her, Elian senses the lust growing again from both his teammates and instinctively responds by amping it up. Melissa's nipples harden under his gaze and Mike is subtly stroking himself through his jumpsuit. Elian smiles and looks at them both. Shall we move this to my bed? They nod and he leads the way. Once there, both men get nude quickly and Melissa plants herself on the bed. She lays back and begins fingering her blonde bush lightly as she looks at the two cocks hardening before her. How do you want me, boys? Her smile is coy but the answering ones are almost feral in their need. Mike speaks. On your hands and knees, you sexy little slut. Rolling over, she wiggles her cute ass at them and reaches back to part her lips again. Her moan is urgent and almost a whine. Mike steps up behind her to fill her aching, empty pussy. Elian smiles as he continues to increase the lust of his teammates while letting his own grow naturally. As Mike begins pounding into Melissa. Her back arches and she pushes herself against him at the bottom of each thrust to take him as deeply as possible. Elian moves up next to them. Come on, Mike, fuck her good. He reaches out now and strokes Melissa's back and ass, using the contact to enter her mind. Mike pounds even more fiercely into the blonde, the slapping of his hips against her turning into a solid thumping as he pistons in and out.
Yes, that's it, man. Fuck her like a bitch. As he keeps up the dirty talk, Elian works on Melissa emotionally. With each degrading phrase, her lust flares up. He increases Mike's lust at the words, too. Mentally, Elian begins working changes on Melissa as her mind opens fully under the sensations she's being assaulted with. With his telepathy, he squashes any thoughts of resistance to the way she's being treated, which is easy enough. The hard part comes when he alters her attachment to Mike to be an emotional need for Mike or himself, but preferably both together. As Mike comes inside Melissa, he presses deeply and forces her face first onto the bed under him. Reaching up, Elian touches Mike and induces a deep sleep and trusting feelings. Soon, Mike is snoring next to them on the bed as Melissa rides Elian cowgirl style. Elian continues shaping her into his fuck toy as she orgasms again and again for him. You love being my bitch, don't you, Melissa? She nods as she bounces. You'll do anything for this cock and my voice in your ear telling you how much I love seeing you play the slut for me. She shudders to another orgasm at the thought. You'll service anyone I want, anywhere and any time. The worse I treat you, the wetter your pussy gets. You love to have me humiliate you, control you, use you like a toy. She loses track of where one orgasm stops and another starts. The best part of it all for me is knowing you asked me in, Melissa. Without that, I could never have done all this to you. When he finally allows her to collapse she falls asleep, sated like she's never been before and hooked on his cock and his voice for her orgasms. Lying in the afterglow, Elian considers what to do about Mike. He reaches out and shakes Mike awake, but keeps his hand on him as the man shakes the sleep from his head. Elian continues his work, shaping Mike in much the same ways he has just done with Melissa. Mike finds himself confused at first, but quickly surrenders to his growing desire for Elian's cock and the sound of Elian's voice in his ear as he sucks. That's it, Mike. Lick her juices off me and clean your master's cock, boy. Mike turns out to be pretty decent at blowjobs, to Elian's delight. Putting Mike back to sleep is simple. Elian's efforts have tired him out, too. His thoughts wander slightly before sleep takes him. Now I just need to find a way into the captain's mind and I'll have my own full set of toys. John was tired of running. He and Dawn have been on the road for weeks now, using her ability to help them survive. It comes in handy for everything from quick carjackings to tearing open locks. Dawn's inventiveness with the force shield was obviously why she had been incarcerated in the first place. She swore that now her ability seemed permanently stronger though with John boosting her every time to improve her concentration and finesse. She didn't realize that John was also getting something from the deal he could now make his own force shield about the size of a pack of cigarettes. Its uses were limited but with his imagination and watching Dawn work John was growing skilled with it. He'd even stolen a few sets of car keys that way. The two of them pull up to an RV park in California. John's latest idea has the owner of their RV tied up in back bedroom. They'd finally shaken the dragnet about a week ago. Once they were safe, John intended to release the man and be on their way. Over the past week, John's attempts to condition the owner and achieve some sort of Stockholm Syndrome effect was showing signs of working. It wasn't quick, though. After getting settled in the RV park, John feels the need to stretch his legs while Dawn starts on dinner. Walking around, he waves casually to several neighbors in the park. 
The campground extended quite a ways and John kept walking, enjoying the exercise after hours of being in the RV. As John walked further back, he failed to notice that he was being watched. Inside one of the larger campers, a discussion was going on about what to do regarding John and Don. After a few minutes a decision was reached. Don stood in front of the small kitchen stove, working happily on the meatloaf in front of her. Glancing back at Richard, she sees the RV's owner still lying quietly in the bedroom. He was still tied and gagged, but for a few days now he'd stopped being such a problem for them. That was why John had decided to risk coming to an RV campground. A as she continues working on the meatloaf, Dawn hears the sound of the door opening. Turning, she cocks her hip and smiles, until she catches sight of the stranger in the doorway. He has a large pistol pointed straight at her. Keep quiet and no one gets hurt, lady. The man's eyes are hidden behind black shades that match his long dark hair. He has several days of stubble as well, lending him an even more dangerous appearance. He frowns as Dawn suddenly smiles even bigger than before at him. Then he catches the flicker of something as it surrounds him. Shit! You're a mutant too! was all he got out before the force field begins collapsing and crushing him. As what he'd said registers with Dawn, she stops but can see it's a bit late. Poor bastard, she thought as she looked at the sphere of energy filled with blood and tissue. Thinking a moment, she shrugs and continues using her force field as a sort of trash compactor. Once she has him as compact as she can get, out come the hefty bags. She just finished putting the remains inside a double bag when John came back from his walk. Quick, John, close the door. Go start the RV and let's get out of here. As Dawn looks at him, she can see John's confusion. What? Why? No time to explain. We have to leave before. She was interrupted by the sound of someone opening the door again. As it swings open, Dawn throws up a shield to block the doorway. The woman walking in was surprised to see them both, but quickly pulls a gun and points it at them. As she swings it up, Dawn uses her power to slam into the woman like a brick wall, knocking her out cold. John comes to his senses and jumps out of the RV, grabs the gun, slings the woman over his shoulder and brings her quickly inside before anyone else notices the disturbance. Several minutes later, the stranger is laying next to Richard on the bed, securely duct-taped and beginning to come around. Dawn has told John everything and he suggested they question the woman before leaving the RV park. Reluctantly, Don agreed. As they wait for the woman to awaken, John thinks about how to handle this. He asks Don to finish dinner as he searches the stranger's pockets. She has no ID or money, just a strange green-colored keycard. As she lies there, John looks closely at his captive. She's a hatchet-jawed brunette with long legs and almost no chest to speak of. Not really my type, he thinks, but it gives John an idea how to question her. It's over half an hour before she begins to move. Shh, relax. John whispers in her ear. He strokes her hair back from her eyes as she opens them. Green eyes lock on his as he focuses on her emotions and confusion. This would be mostly guesswork and he hopes it turns out well. Her eyes continue to show confusion and disorientation as John carefully heightens those feelings. But he also works on tamping down her fear. He keeps on stroking her hair gently and whispering to her. Feel how nice it is for me to stroke your hair. It's comforting and safe here. You're going to be okay, trust me. John kept up this talk for a while, 
before slowly releasing her from the sensation of being disoriented. As he does so, he can tell her focus is strongly on him now, which is what he'd hoped for. Do you mind telling me what was going on here and who you are? The woman actually blushes. My name's Emma. Adam and I were trying to rob you too. Please forgive us. That's okay, Emma. Why were you doing that? We're both mutants and are being hunted. We were trying to get your RV to swap out for the one we'd stolen already. Adam thinks the police are looking for it now. Where is Adam anyway? John pushed away the nausea he felt. Don't worry, he's being taken care of. It's funny we should meet you, Emma. Dawn and I are mutants too. Really? Emma's eyes light up, then her expression changes. Adam won't like that. He doesn't want us near other mutants. Why not? We were living with a small camp of muties in Colorado and the feds attacked. We barely made it out. It was horrible, hearing people scream and running for our lives. I know, Emma. Dawn and I were caught but we managed to escape. Now we're trying to stay free and figure out what to do next. Maybe Adam and I can join you too? Even if Adam won't, I'd like to. Emma looks in John's eyes hopefully. You don't want to stay with Adam? He and I only met while escaping the camp. Honestly, he scares me. John smiles at Emma as he continues stroking her hair. Don't worry about Adam. He scared Dawn too and she made him go away. I'm certain he won't be back. Emma smiles and snuggles up to John. He continues stroking her, moving down onto her back and working more on her feelings. After several minutes Emma looks up at John. May I, can I tell you something? Certainly. Adam and I met some other mutants on the road. They gave us cards to contact them. She motions to the green card sitting nearby. We're supposed to be able to use those to bring them if we need help. Who are these others? What do you mean, use them? We break one of the cards and it will send some sort of signal that we're in trouble. The others are. Suddenly the RV begins to rock and the sound of a helicopter overrides Emma's voice. Jean went to stand up and a feeling of exhaustion overtakes him. As he topples to the ground, he sees Emma already passed out. John's head hurts like a As He blinks his eyes open and peers around. His pulse seems to hammer in his skull. The light was dim all around but what it does reveal is enough to scare him. The room contains only John, the military-style cot he's on and a solid metal door. It's almost exactly like the facility he'd escaped from with Dawn and Nikolai, only less well-lit and poorly maintained. The walls are marked with water stains and dust and the room feels stuffy, probably because there is no visible ventilation. Sitting up, John swings his legs off the cot and waits for his dizziness to clear. As he sits he hears a number of footsteps outside the door. The lock clinks and the door swings open, admitting a thin man with a pinched and pale face. Hello? I'm sorry about your headache. It's a side effect of the power that was used on you. The headache will pass soon. But forgive my manners, my name is Carlos. I'm in charge of the team that brought you in. Who are you people and where am I? Where's Dawn? And Emma? They're both fine, John. Dawn is already awake and told us a bit about you too. As for who we are, I'm part of a group that resists the way mutants are being treated by the government. We don't have a name for ourselves but the government calls us domestic mutant terrorists, or DMTs. Pretty organized, aren't you? 
helicopters, locator beacons, all that takes some serious cash. We're not above theft to support ourselves, John. Or violence either. In fact, a great man once said that he wouldn't call it violence when it's self-defense. He'd call it intelligence. Huh. Can't say I disagree. We mistakenly thought you and Don had attacked Adam and Emma. Since we didn't know what was going on inside your RV we had one of our team hit it with a stun blast, then went in and took everyone prisoner. After our testing confirmed you and Don were mutants, we brought you here to recover. The human who was already tied up we left at the RV park. He'll be okay there. Where I is here, exactly? I'm afraid I can't say until we talk some more, John. Are you hungry? We can eat while I answer your questions. Lead on, Macduff. John stands and follows Carlos. One other person waits outside, a stocky blonde man in a black jumpsuit. John, meet Hatchet. He's the one that stunned you earlier. The blonde nods at John who returns the greeting. Several minutes later John is seated at a small, metal table in their cramped, chow hall, with a hot cup of coffee in front of him. After answering a few questions about how he and Don had gotten out and ended up in California, the question he was dreading came up. So what are your powers, John? Why did they have you locked up? John sighs and stares at his so-called coffee, before looking at Carlos again. I am an enhancer. Basically, I cause things to happen faster or stronger or quicker than normal. It works on things like rust, emotions, even mutant powers. Carlos and Hatchet just stare a few seconds at John, shock obvious in their faces. Carlos spoke first. Can you show us? John holds his coffee cup so the two could see into it. The once dark, hot liquid is now almost gone, showing mold growth and a caked over surface. Shit! Hatchet said in a low voice. And you can boost powers too? John nodded. I was kept in a nice little cage because they only knew about my ability to increase mutant powers. I'd been near a mutant battle in Atlanta, the one with the pyrokinetics. Hatchet's face is a quiet mask. The one where all those people were killed in the explosion that took out the underground. Yes, I was trying to get away and was hit by a stray bullet. In my pain I lost control and so did the nearest mutants. One of the survivors was a mentalist who was able to tell I was a mutant and that I was somehow responsible. After that it was brick walls and daily use of my power for the government for months on end. As Hatchet looks at John, his face changes from coldly quiet to sadness. I lost one of my friends in that same fight. I wondered what had happened. Thank you for sharing, John. John stares back at the tabletop in shame, his face coloring. I'm so sorry he says in a small voice. It wasn't your fault. Besides, my friend knew it was risky going into the situation. We were part of another group then, trying to break into a research lab doing work on mutant genes and it turned out to be a trap. No one can blame you for being shot and losing control. Shaking his head, John can't meet Hatchet's eyes. Carlos interrupts them both. I don't think anyone is to blame except the government for treating us like threats. Most of us are victims of the bombings. I was in Fort Lauderdale when the gas attacks hit the beach. Now I'm a mentalist myself, John. What can you do? Mostly hide us from other mutants, plus a little telepathy, enough to know when someone's lying. Carlos grins. You're not feared by others here? 
we've learned more or less to work as a team. It also helps that I've saved a few lives with my other skills. Before all this, I was an ER doctor. I almost can't remember my old life, John says, staring into his coffee cup again. I don't really want to either. Carlos claps John on the shoulder. You're among friends now, John. One thing you should know you don't have to help us either. We certainly could use it, but I won't expect it of you. Meeting Carlos' eyes, John speaks. Anything I can do to help, I'd be more than happy to do. Both men smile at him. Don and Emma also decide to stay on, mostly because John had, rather than from any strong conviction. In the next few days John learns all about the group. There are currently six members Carlos, mentalist and leader, Hatchet, with his stunning rays, Damien who has invisibility, Amanda who has teleportation, Brett who is a pyrokinetic, and Hien with super strength. John also learns that Emma's ability is empathy, on a low scale. That was one reason she and Adam hadn't been asked to join the group. Adam's attitude had been another he'd felt they had been better off alone and not drawing attention to themselves. It's a common feeling according to Carlos. Before his discovery in Atlanta it was how John had been living low-key and with minimal use of his powers, although they hadn't been very strong at the time. After a year spent being a trained dog for the government, John feels ready to fight back. Carlos and his team are working on finding and recruiting others. They've spent months getting established, with a couple of small bases like this one and operating cash mostly stolen in armored car heists and bank robberies. Recently they've been tracking down other mutants using information stolen from government operatives they've kidnapped. It's how they'd found Adam and Emma. Those two were actually the only ones they've found so far others were already captured or better at hiding from everyone.at the team's next strategy meeting. John puts forth an idea he's thought of. Have you considered hitting one of the mutant jails? Yes, Carlos answers. They're all too well defended by both mutants and military personnel. It would be suicide. Maybe not. The one Dawn and I were held in was underground in NYC. It wasn't one of the publicly known ones. I think that's the key, finding either that facility or another like it. It had a lot of cells. I counted at least twenty in my hallway and there were several hallways. So you think there are more secret jails like the one you were in? There have to be. I've looked at the info available on the two known mutant jails and they just don't have the capacity to hold all the people being arrested. The teams I was boosting were going out on a weekly or even daily basis sometimes, hunting down mutants and detaining them. Even if they were only bringing in three mutants a week, that one facility couldn't have held all the people detained while I was there. Dawn's soft voice breaks in. I know for a fact where we broke out of wasn't the only place I was held. I remember some sort of bad reaction to the first meds they put me on and being transported there by chopper because of it. Carlos looks thoughtful. Makes sense. We believe there are several teams working for the government catching mutants, at least one on each coast and one in the D.C. area. So there's probably at least one secret facility supporting each team, holding mutants prisoner, and so on. And since we already know roughly where one jail is, we could start by tracking it down. Even if we decide not to break in, we'll learn a lot more about their operations. John sits back and watches Carlos decide. I like it. Let's get ready to hit the Big Apple. 
New York hasn't gotten any prettier since the arrival of mutants on the global scene. The WTC memorial had been trashed last year and would probably be years getting rebuilt. The rest of the town is almost the same, only grimier and more likely to be called Gotham by people who weren't comic book nerds. Crime was nearly on a level with Mexico City now kidnappings, murders, every category is up across the board. John and Don have no problem finding the location they'd emerge from the sewers at. It's backtracking from there that takes the team several weeks of guesswork and poring over maps. After a week, John realizes he might be able to boost Don's memory and recall of the event. That helps a lot but she hadn't always been paying full attention to her surroundings. Now they stand in the darkness far below ground, watching a small computer screen. It shows the camera output from a remotely controlled car that has been converted to a spying platform. It had been Amanda's idea to disguise it as a large rat. All the electrical work and cameras, visible and infrared, has been done by Hien. Super strength is his trademark now but before mutating he'd been an electrical engineer. The car is rolling up to what they think is the perimeter of the underground jail. As everyone huddles and watches, John is very aware of Emma and Don flanking him. The soft press of their bodies against his remind him that it has been days since he'd been with Don. Recently, Emma has also been flirting with him, possibly because of how he'd manipulated her when they first met. Dawn made it clear she's jealous of his attention, but it hasn't stopped Emma from teasing him whenever they are alone together. Reaching down, John quietly and forcefully removes Emma's hand from the front of his pants and returns his attention to the screen. The screen shows the now-repaired wall that Nikolai knocked down when escaping. The new bricks and mortar are clearly visible. As he pans the camera around, they can see a security camera looking down on the area. Shit! Hien said. I hope they buy into the disguise, or that their cameras are worse quality than mine are. He brings the car around and back down the tunnels towards the team as everyone looks to Carlos for guidance. We wait for now. We'll put out our own security system laser tripwires and cameras that Hien's cobbled together. If we don't detect anything by the end of the week, we come back and continue mapping out the facility. In the meantime, we'll work on the break-in planning. The week passes without any signs of detection. By Friday John is going stir-crazy, along with the rest of the team. They've holed up in a small lease condo and it's cramped with nine people. John swears to himself as he gets out of the shower that once this is done he's taking Don, getting a cheap hotel, and relieving his blue balls. Having pancakes and sausage for breakfast today had been the last straw. Don and Emma got into a competition for Sexiest Sausage Swallower as John privately thought of the display they put on. After dressing, John joins the team in the kitchen for their final briefing. Carlos and Hien have printouts on the walls for everyone to clearly see. Hien has managed to insert several smaller versions of his rat car into the AC for the facility and has done some exploring. Augmented by John's limited knowledge of the place, they have a working layout for the facility. Carlos stands up and addresses the group. All right, we're ready to go. We've managed to identify roughly where the prisoners are. He indicates an area on the map. And I think we can get in and rescue about ten prisoners before they mobilize. From what Don and John encountered, their response consisted entirely of human personnel, but we assume there's a team of mutants on site as well. 
The rest of the briefing covered escape routes and a few contingency plans, which John has helped Carlos develop. As he tries to look attentive, John can feel Emma's stocking foot sliding up and down his thigh. He tries to ignore it and is mostly successful until he sees Amanda's grin out of the corner of his eye. The cute, short brunette knows what's happening and it suddenly pisses John off that she finds it amusing. As Carlos droned on, John concentrates on Amanda and makes her skin sensitivity increase tenfold. Amanda's eyes pop out nearly as far as her nipples do when she finds herself suddenly super aware of the clothes she's wearing. Embarrassed, she holds up her printout and hunches over slightly trying to hide how her shirt is now tented out over each nipple. John's eyes get bigger as he sees how Amanda's nipples stand out. They have to be an inch long at least. His mouth waters at the thought of getting his lips around those tits. Pretending to read, he concentrates on her feelings. He can't be sure, but he figures embarrassment and arousal are good hot buttons to choose. As the briefing wraps up, Amanda abruptly leaves the table and heads to the bathroom. Trying to look inconspicuous, John trails along behind her. Fortunately, Dawn and Emma are sniping at each other again and most of the others stop to watch the entertainment. As their voices raise, John can hear Carlos trying to intervene. Inside the bathroom, Amanda is just starting to cool down. She knows exactly what just happened. They've all seen John's powers in use. One of the things Carlos insisted on is that the team train together and figure out ways to complement each other. She's pissed but can't get John out of her mind. What would he be like in bed? She catches herself kneading one of her breasts and is pulling her hand away when the door handle turns. John notices that Amanda hasn't locked the door and quickly opens it and walks inside. She's standing with her back to the sink, clutching one tit in what looks like a death grip. John immediately amps up her lust and sensitivity again, and her face changes from shock to awe. Her nipples fully tend out her shirt again, and she stands there as he closes the two steps between them. He reaches up and latches onto a nipple with his fingertips, pinching lightly and enjoying the resulting moan. You're going to enjoy this, Amanda. John leans down and kisses her. As he does, he can feel her body shiver against his and her legs move apart as she steps into his embrace. Her scent carries in the small bathroom and within seconds, helped by his augmentation, she's writhing against him and moaning lightly. Fingers slide from her nipples to cup the entire breast and his other hand pulls at her hair, forcing her head back as they kiss. He moves from kissing to nuzzling her neck, breathing lightly on her super-sensitive skin and feeling her convulse and wrap her arms solidly around him to remain standing. When John finally nips lightly at her neck, Amanda all but collapses in his arms and moans with her orgasm. Giving her a few moments to recover, John spins her around against the counter and undoes her jeans. When they drop into a puddle around her ankles, his questing hand discovers that she has no panties underneath and is clean-shaven. You're exactly how I like my sluts, Amanda. John whispers in her ear as he undoes his own pants and drops them to the floor. His erect cock springs out and he quickly bends her over the sink and seats himself against her wet opening. Are you ready for this, bitch? He meets her eyes in the mirror as he asks, and she has barely started to nod yes when he slides into her. As her taut muscles spread to accept his thickness, John focuses again on sensitizing her body and she begins silently thrashing in orgasm and biting her lip to keep from screaming out loud. 
When he finally seats the last inch of himself inside her, John is pleased to feel himself bump right up against her cervix. That does it Amanda shakes one last time and passes out. Only John's arms supporting her keep her from falling to the tile floor. Looking down at her body pinned beneath him, John gets angry again. He isn't ready to come yet. With a grin, he begins pumping in and out while holding her in place and concentrating his powers again. As he continues fucking her senseless body, her eyes begin to open and she shudders awake. Pulling on her hair, he bends her spine backwards and started hammering home. Who's thwop, my thwop, new thwop, bitch? He asks as he continues fucking her, no longer trying to keep quiet for fear the others would hear. Me. Amanita manages to get out, her voice breaking as she speaks. With a grunt, John slams home one final time and feel himself spurting deep into her wet pussy. At almost the same time, Amanda begins coming again herself as she looks at his face in the mirror. Unknown to John, Amanda has always been a submissive in bed and now she feels a wave of affection sweeping over her at this man who has dominated her so thoroughly in just a few minutes. After he pulls out, Amanda turns and drops to her knees in front of him. She gently takes his cock into her mouth and sucks him clean of most of their juices, savoring the sensation as she does. John enjoys it as well, but pulls her off by her hair when he begins to harden again and angles her head up so she can see his face. Thank you, slut. You did yourself proud. With that, John zips up, washes his hands and leaves the bathroom. As she cleans up herself, Amanda's thoughts turn to Dawn and Emma. She'll have to figure out how to deal with them both. She grins as she thinks about the challenge. The End